0: their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Back by popular demand, Uh, I think it might have something to do with the fact that he told us last time he cheated in his maths exam because he found out how to program his calculator. But genuinely, my next guest is actually back by popular demand. Well over 3,000 of you have written in saying we need more of Daniel Cooper. So it gives me great pleasure to once again introduce daniel cooper to you he's returning for part two uh he's now joined a very very small number of people who have been guests twice on the sandro forte podcast so no pressure daniel um but because we had such an amazing time the first time and because there was so much content and there was clearly more to come we decided to drag him back screaming and kicking so here he is once again daniel cooper welcome to the
1: sandro forte podcast thank you again for having me on it's always a pleasure to speak to you
0: and you are do you know what i remember about last time it was kind of like a really fun conversation and, and although lots of guests are fun it was fun and what was bizarre about that for me is i'm such an it I, i'm just I, i'm bereft of any kind of information when it comes to it and automation and robotics and the future uh, and i frankly delegate all that to my kids mainly my son so uh so at the fact that i found it really interesting uh, says a lot about who you are the way you communicate and what you do and I know you're really really busy so it is um, I'm particularly thankful for you finding the time to uh, to squeeze us
1: in yet again no it's, um, it, I'm, it's I'm really 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 happy to be here it's it's nice actually to potentially escape code uh, and and the text stuff that we do actually for for an hour or so
0: yeah and, and and for a man who lives and breathes code you you've got a, a really nice personality that normally the two things don't go hand in hand Don't disrespect. Massive, (laughs) massive generalisation I just trotted out there. Um, So for those people who are frankly too lazy to go back and listen to the first podcast, or possibly for those who have recently joined us as listeners and they haven't heard the first podcast, just start, if you would, Daniel, by telling us why so many people have written in saying get Daniel Cooper back. So a little bit of your background and what makes you so extraordinarily interesting
1: as an individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as a, as a fellow lazy person, for anyone lazy enough not to go back, uh, I, uh, I'm notorious for cheating in my maths exam, um, in programming a calculator to, to take in the syllabus and then spit it out as I saw fit in my GCC. Um, and I run a company called Lolly Cohen. our focus is working with companies on their processes and systems and trying to really understand them and pull them apart. And actually layer in automation with software or robotics or a mixture of both uh, in order to complement and leverage staff there within the company so actually free them up to do more of the fun stuff no one likes just data entry uh, or or moving things from one side of the room to the other that's you know machines jobs Uh, on a day-to-day basis that's what i do Um, uh, i speak to clients all day i speak to engineers and developers all day and often literally roll my sleeves up to, to get involved. Um, and I think that, in a nutshell, it, it is really what I do. I I think potentially maybe oversimplifying it.
0: Yeah, I, you've been very modest there. So, I mean, you're, you're very, very clever too. Uh, so, for somebody like me, the layperson, the, the person who's still the dinosaur, stuck in the dark ages, uh, hasn't woken up to the modern world yet, uh, the words robotics, automation, process, systems, code, terrifies me. Um, just explain first of all Daniel what is automation for those who I mean some people have just grown when I say that because they'll go for goodness sake but there'll be lots of people out there I know demographically who won't understand it so automation in the workplace advantages disadvantages and I guess extending that question can it be linked to you know a human's ability to adapt and accept change
1: Mm, yeah absolutely I think that if you look at change, just to, I suppose, reverse the order a bit, really, uh, JFK had a, had a quote where he said, change is the law of life, uh, and those who look only to the past and present are certain to miss the future. And I think change is something that we all fear somewhat, and I hear it a lot in the work that we do, the type of things where people say, well, we've always done it this way, which is wonderful. Um, but blockbuster always sent people home with a VHS tape that you were told to rewind before you return it uh, under penalty of death from Blockbuster. Uh, And they'd always done things that way. And they didn't see why really they should change. And thus, Netflix came along and just obliterated them overnight and overnight potentially shortening the time span by probably a decade. But still, you know, you get the point. Uh, And change is something we all have to accept. And automation layers in in different areas so you could look towards warehousing uh, with robotics supply chain stuff or actually having machines produce food move things around a factory or a supply chain or fry conveyor belts and that's something we're all quite familiar with i think and we've been familiar with that since the the 80s uh, when really that started to to move forward especially in car production um, but now we're looking more at white collar jobs rather than blue collar jobs in that. We're looking at automation in the workplace of the office. Uh, And that in itself is called uh, robotic process automation. just seems to be the industry term for it, don't ask me why. Uh, and, And that is about, for those of us who shuffle paper about, about actually automating what's happening there. Now automation does have some great benefits, but also has some awful bad points. So let's look at some bad points. Number one, if the electricity goes, your automation is not going to work very well. It's not very versatile. Sandro, you and all the listeners are wonderful generalists. For instance, if let's say if you and I were lucky enough to work at, I don't know, let's say a shoe shop, if someone is sick, and they're not on the shop floor, you or I could jump in and fill that role quite quickly because we're really generalists. A machine would just collapse. It has no idea of the concept. It can only do the one thing we've instructed it to do and programmed it to do. So it's, it's, it's unbelievably awful at doing anything versatile. It it has the potential as well to be unpredictable in its costs. Things change. A business, a business rule could change. and We have to reconstruct it, remake it. Uh, it could be a supplier changes the way they're doing something or something as simple as suddenly we decide we're going to print on a3 instead of a4 it no longer works so that's a big problem there and of course what everyone's big fear is an increase in unemployment so those are some serious concerns but it balances out we can reduce production time on factory floors we can increase accuracy and repeatability we can have less human error less employee cost, good for the business owner, potentially, increased safety and, and high volume production. So there's many, many good things there. But it, it, there is a balance to all of this, I believe. Um, and whilst we're all fearful that we're all going to lose our jobs, the funny thing is, economically, it will balance because if we all lose our jobs, no one can buy anything, thus there'll be no businesses to be automated.
0: That's actually a really good point, because I, you know, I, I meet people the length and breadth of the UK, and in fact, around the world, and a lot of them, I'll just take one industry as an example, you know, financial services, a lot of advisors who have been very used to building that face to face relationship driven uh, approach with their their clients are now fearing robo advice. But, you know, I'm interested to know whether or not automation, and you've just articulated it really well, there doesn't appear to be a massive impact on unemployment, for example, because, as you say, there has to be this continuous balance, you can't replace one with the other. Um, and of course, in things like relationships, you're not going to build a relationship with a robot, for example, or maybe you
1: will in time to come. I have no idea. It just depends what you're into. But jokes aside, the point being is that no one says, oh, I wish I could just phone up the bank and talk to a robot. No one says that. When we go on the phone. I'm so infuriated, you know, when I've got a phone, HSBC or any other bank, insert their name here. And jump in a queue and they ask me which number would you, if you need this press, this, I just want to speak to someone. That's all I ask. Uh, But it doesn't seem to matter anymore how big your business gets. There doesn't seem to be a business manager that no longer exists, which is a real shame, actually, because that I think is the real moat that a business can build um, to protect against clients or customers leaving customer service and real human interaction, I think really makes the difference. Uh, when it comes to service these days. So I, I would say to anyone who is a, a financial advisor who's worried about these robo-advisors is that potentially you're the, the better side of the business where the better value is, you're going to find that people want the human touch, uh, You know, where they have their mortgage broker, their financial advisor who they call up and they trust, not a faceless piece of machinery or code where they're hoping it's going to give them the right thing. And I suppose philosophically as well, I think my view would be, well,
0: people who are searching for robo-advice probably aren't our preferred customers anyway. You know, they're wow. always going to be searching online and, and dealing with that that kind of approach to, to business. So we should be philosophical about it. And, and as you say, look for the value-based proposition, which, you know, in this example is what yeah. most of us were set up to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm all for automation and anything can be done with code and online and in the cloud, I'm all over it. But if you ask me, how do we have our mortgages? Well, that's with my mortgage broker, Joseph, who's Mm -hmm. wonderful. And I don't have to, I just phone him and he does all the work, which is great. I don't want to have to go and find all the websites and put the information in, um, mostly because I'm lazy, as I've already stated. but, But the actual part of it really is that he knows this stuff, I don't. You know so it's great to actually have that person who you can interact with on, on that basis and and potentially even go to dinner with them which is quite nice sometimes.
0: One of your one of your missions, I really want to spend a bit of time talking about this because one of the things that we hear from listeners often, Daniel, in fact every week without fail, is this whole subject of change. You know, here I am in a particular place in life or business, and I'm really finding it difficult to transition from here to here, where wherever those two points might be. One of your missions, I know, is to create change. And I, I particularly like this because many of us feel that we have change forced on us. And, and you know, we, we've talked about a couple of examples already, and we can talk about lots more besides. But people seem to accept change because it it's something they accept as part and parcel of life. Whereas what you try to do is to change change, to create it for yourself. So I would like to spend a bit of time on that because a lot of the feedback we got last time was, you know, the way you you see that process, what you do to to change direction, to disrupt a marketplace, to take control of um, of this whole process and evolutionary path that many of us go on. So if we can, let's just talk about the creation of change versus the acceptance of change, because mm-hmm. I know that's something that, you know, is a bit of a bit of a mantra as far as you're concerned.
1: Yeah, Change in in business or lifestyle or process, whatever it is, is is a little bit like having an organ transplant in that your body may reject it if you don't treat it with respect and do it very carefully. In the same way that if we walk into a company uh, and we have a meeting with, let's say, the MD, the managing director, and say, right, we're going to automate loads of stuff. And then we just come into it and say to everyone, good news, everybody, we've automated everything, bad news, everything's changed. There would be a riot and the company, the body would reject the transplant that we've made. What we actually need to do and what we encourage is that there should be, I believe that a company is really just a group of people. You know, so it's a village of people and it's important that everybody, although I do appreciate that there is a business owner or business owners, is this group of people together the business and if they all just left the business falls apart so it's important that when we come in we look at processes and systems and we actually do what we call workshops so we sit down with teams normally five to six so let's say we do it with I don't know uh, accounts and we go through every single process they've got and we uh, use post-it notes to understand where everything is post-it notes not technology just post-it notes shockingly Um, We write on them all, and we understand where everything goes, how it feeds into each other, how long does it take us to do this bit and that bit, and we have a really good discussion about it, and we try and understand all our processes. And this is one half our workshop, and the other half is we like to then sit with everyone in that workshop and say, right, how can we improve this so that we're actually freed up a bit of our time? So easy things like I will promise not to print off an email and take it to someone else's desk for them to type it into a spreadsheet type stuff which happens a lot. Even in the most streamlined of businesses, you still catch people doing it. And people don't really realize once they look at it with their own eyes, they do say, why am I doing that? Um, we look at really optimizing them with them, and then helping them come up with automation ideas themselves. Because once the group has formulated the idea of the change, and seen actually the benefit, then when it's introduced, suddenly, it's the best thing since sliced bread. And our big, big, big thing with companies is that when we're going into them, when we're talking about change, we talk about automation. As soon as we start hearing words of oh, lower staff costs, or oh, well, I could probably lighten the, light, then immediately we, this is a territory. Instantly, we have to start saying to people, look, you are going to make a big mistake here, and this will actually lead to lower levels of business in the future. So our things as consultants is that we, we really need to push our clients to understand that moving as many of their staff into uh, human facing roles as possible is the absolute key um, not only for change for those people to help them in their careers but change for the business itself um, anything else just really won't work um, but but changes i think change is incremental it is a part of life um, but i don't believe in enforcing change on people i think that's wholly unfair hmm. what what is as human beings daniel
0: would you say we can learn from, from machines, from computers? Uh, and how do you machine, and this is something that fascinates me when I hear things like the machine is starting to learn itself. I mean, I never thought <laughs> yeah. I'd ever hear that expression. But so to to repeat, what you know, what as humans can we learn from technology, from machines, from computers, from automation? Yeah. And and how are these machines and
1: computers now learning themselves. I can't, I can't get my head around that. Okay, all right. Well, you. I know you have children, I have children. My children are much younger than yours, uh, but one of my kids is, he's two and a half now, uh, and he is obsessed with animals. I don't know how many plastic toy animals that he's been bought by relatives, but it becomes a gauntlet in the morning and the afternoons to, to not tread on an elephant's tusk or a dinosaur's scale. <laughs> which which has but the the important point of it all here is that he does this thing where he's constantly repeating the animals we've seen us look which when they pick up a t- and say tiger you say oh, i say tiger well done freddie look i've got the next one and say elephant but you'll notice a strange thing with children you'll notice that you could be showing them only the the toys a physical toy plastic toy of a tiger but then if they saw a drawing in a book, which was a completely stylized in a different way, they would still recognize it as a tiger, or from a different viewpoint as a tiger, their brains are absorbing huge amounts of information, you know, potentially terabytes of data on a daily basis. Our brains are incredible machines uh, that the subconscious can remember a, a massive amount of patterns. Uh, and, and they're really building up entire data sets on, let's say, tigers or gorillas or elephants. A machine is no different. So, In order for a machine to learn in the same way that Freddie does, I would have to get, let's say we wanted a machine that could tell us, uh, it could differentiate big cats. We would need to get our hands, you and I, on likely 50,000, maybe 70,000 pictures of big cats, maybe more, maybe 100,000. And we would need to what we call label them. So we would need to physically go in and say, type in lion and that one's a lion and then we go and type tiger that's a tiger and that's a bobcat and we need to label all of these up once we've labeled these we've basically created the data set or the memory in the same way that freddy's absorbing all this information we'll pass this information this data set that we've got now into what we call a model and the model is really the logical part of how it handles the data so it's it's really it, it's, it's 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 format of understanding what these things are so that now when we give it an image it runs this image through its model. And it says, oh, I've seen this. This is 100% a tiger. It could even give us a very lower percentage. You say, I am 75% sure this is a tiger. And it gets better and better as we go because we then what we call train our model in the same way that Freddie would say to you, lion. And you would say, no, Freddie, that's a tiger. You're a tiger. And you're giving him his feedback, which they need. Children need this. Then the same thing we're doing with the machine. We're actually training our model which is then giving it feedback into its data. So that's how they learn, or it's one of the ways that they learn. And there are different subsets to AI and machine learning. uh, And they are, as I pointed out earlier on, awful generalists. So Freddie's good with dinosaurs and animals, and he's quite good with cars, but that would make a huge amount of work for us if we had to do all three. So it kind of gives you an an idea of how uh, advanced, we are compared to ai uh, and potentially gives you an idea that actually we're quite a long way off um, from having any type of walking talking generalist ai or or machine um it's a bit like these world you know beating chess ai Mm. give it a crossword terrible You'd absolutely win hands down on countdown, I think, when it came to that. But there is probably another piece of machine learning or AI, actually, is probably pretty good at countdown. In fact, I would guarantee there is something 100% really good at this. Um, So I I believe that gives you a good idea of of Mm. how the machines
0: learn. So for all those people who write into us and say, will the time come where the world is dominated by you know walking talking machines and we end up you know like like you see in all these sci-fi films where you know uh the, humans are prisoners and uh the world is overrun with metallic objects who can think for themselves you know and we've well, got an ar- an army of of metal soldiers and i mean all joking apart do you see the world changing so significantly or will the way humans work because we are just intrinsically so much more complex do you think that that is a long long way off is it it the sort of thing we have to worry about in our generation or our kids generation for example and i I know i'm asking you to predict the future which is impossible but but you are very close to the ground so you can see this this evolutionary and developmental change far far better than i can is it a scary prospect or is this just a new opportunity
1: well, I think there's there's always this, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both in everything, right? You know, there are many many times that we've been terrified of big changes that have come through for, for for humanity. It, but the thing now is that the changes are the changes that we encounter via technology uh, are, are rapidly growing in a, a logarithmic fashion. As in, the next change comes at potentially much faster than the one we've just seen. So that is where i think now we are struggling more than potentially we have done historically with these types of changes but then again we aren't able to ask that opinion to someone from the you know 1700s it's just not possible i think that with current technologies with computational power um the types of things you're talking about like simulations um aren't possible will they be possible in the future yes uh, which then leads to things like quantum computing, um, which is a whole new field of science which will allow us to have immense machines, um, which then leads you on whole something called simulation theory. But let's not go into that. I think everyone might start melting. So let's just stay away from that one. But yeah, there, least, there are... Some... Not least your host. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we certainly will one day absolutely be able to um, render simulations which are almost would be impossible to tell apart from reality. Concerning slightly, I would say, um, may free other people though. If you were someone who suffered from disabilities or impairments your entire life, that could be extremely freeing, I'd imagine. Hmm. Um, for others, they may see it as a cage, but that I suppose is is only to be decided once it comes around and, and how we use that technology um, I, I think that the, the technology that we're witnessing at the moment is is likely to lead us further abroad in space, I would think, is the next big, big challenge where we're talking not only with SpaceX and them trying to look to inhabit both a moon base uh, and, of course, Mars, um, but potentially these new uh, frontier companies which are now looking to mine asteroids, um, and which leads us to things like the Fermi paradox and drones that are self-replicating off of these asteroids. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, a fantastical futuristic vision uh, and there are many things that it all leads to, um, but I don't, I don't think the future is as bleak as some would paint. Um, and I think that we are now all waking up to the fact that, that we need to live in a bit more harmony uh, with the planet um and, and i think technology will be a great aid in doing that uh, what's we i i must apologize
0: at this at this point by um giving the impression to the listeners that you are now some kind of futurist uh, <laughs> that was not why you were invited onto the podcast in the first place and let's be clear daniel cooper uh, does not have a crystal ball he cannot see into the future of course uh, although he has some very salient views on the future but that's definitely not what he is So forgive me if I led the questioning down a completely different path. I'm just fascinated because I think you are probably certainly of all the previous guests best equipped to give us a comment or two on, on that change because we get more questions on change
1: and fear of it than, than on any other subject. So it's a a fun conversation. I like to talk about these things is the type of stuff that I bore my wife with every single evening. Uh, so it's nice to talk to someone else about it. And, um, what
0: challenges do you think uh, lie ahead for for you your your business for society generally i mean what are the what are the things that we should be looking out for uh, cognizant of aware of as we go through this rapid process of constant change are there any tips thoughts um you you know automation in the workplace is something that of course you you spend all of your time doing but is there anything that we could be mindful of and start thinking about in order to embrace embrace adapt and ultimately benefit from this this evolutionary process that we're going through at a ever more alarming pace
1: Mm, sure Uh, for me the challenge is that we've recently looked at the challenge that we're setting ourselves and and my personal challenge is that we are now looking to see if we can transform one million companies so that is a big number and a, and a big challenge. And th- that really means that I have to consider our own automation, our own scaling and, and the challenges come about in business. Um, I think for the for for in the everyday walking of life, I, I think that the challenge of, of change and what's coming, I think that we should really actually be treating it more as a positive thing. Um, I th- for many of us, if we were living in Victorian era, we'd mostly be working in factories or in the farm. The commonality then was that working day was a 12 hour day. And that was very much the norm for everybody, not eight hours, 12 hours. Uh, some of us who were, a bit, who were quite skint. I don't know if you've seen, have you seen these some of these Victorian workhouses where people used to sleep on a piece of rope? They'd string a piece of rope up across the room. And then you put your arms over the top by your armpits and you'd hang over the top and that's where you would sleep it's it's absolutely incredible so the absolute pov- poverty that they faced and there was a huge disparity between the very wealthy uh and the very poor and that has certainly reduced since then by a massive degree but i think what we're likely to see uh from all of this is actually more freedom uh more freedom to actually have more leisure time and and to actually make our lives a lot easier i think the working hours will reduce many people are calling for four hour work weeks uh, and i know that in countries uh, i believe it was um I believe it was Denmark. They did uh, a a um, like a living kind of like uh, I can't remember what it's called now. But it was like a living like a, a living kind of minimal wage that everyone had. So we would all get five hundred euros, no questions asked, on top of whatever you're doing. And it, and it was incredible to see um, the benefit of this um, and how actually. It actually improved people's mental health dramatically, uh, it actually made them perform better. It was really quite incredible. So I think that that is really where it's going and I think that change comes step by step. We're not all just suddenly going to walk into work tomorrow and there's a RoboCop sat in your chair and you're you're out of a job. That that's, that's just not going to happen and bringing it right back to the start of the conversation when I'm saying to you, you know, we're wonderful, versatile generalists this is our superpower. Yeah. People always said, oh, jack of all trades, master of none. Actually, that's much more preferable in the future, I believe. Mm. You talked earlier um,
0: about the, 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 the work you want to do in, in transforming all these companies. I don't think we've really ever spent a lot of time on these two uh, podcasts, Daniel, talking specifically about what you do uh, in your business. So can you just kind of walk us through briefly... What you would typically do, I mean, I know you don't have a typical company or client that you work with, but when when somebody like me comes to you, what, what am I generally looking to do? Because, you know, I understand automation. I understand it better now having talked to you. But typically, what would somebody come to you to achieve? What would be their objective, mainly? I'm just interested to know more about what your company does specifically rather than
1: generally. They'd come to us with a foggy mind. And entrepreneurs often have foggy minds because there's a lot happening all in the company all around them. And it's hard to see the wood for the trees sometimes in that scenario. So often they'll come to us and they'll say, can you please start looking for all our processes and our systems in these workshops that you do? And we'll do this. And we'll start creating all of these wonderful process maps for them so they understand it, documenting it. So people follow a plan so that if Sandra from accounts decides to quit tomorrow, well, Bob can fill her shoes quite easily by just following the plan then we're also then looking to automate that but a big part of what we do on top of this focusing on business processes uh, and automation is what we call business intelligence and it's a rather modern field business intelligence but in a nutshell what we're doing is we're sucking the data out of absolutely everything everything so that really gives you uh, potentially huge huge advantages over other companies to make decisions so you'll see big companies, especially in America doing this. So the famous story of Target, I don't know if you heard this story where Mm -hmm. uh, a father in America was furious because his daughter who was at school received in the post coupons for things from the the nursery and for baby milk. Furious that Target could have got it so wrong, but Target had employed a, a, a data scientist who had come up with these models and he had worked out that the daughter's purchasing, or he hadn't, but his model had, purchasing of zinc uh, and, and other minerals and, and additives uh, and different unscented creams, they'd worked out that actually they thought she was pregnant. And not only did they think it, they were correct. So they knew before she or her father had any idea. So it gives you an idea now of the type of information these companies are collecting. If you look at Walmart, they collect petabytes of data every hour on all their customers to give you an idea every hour that's 20,000 filing cabinets of information on their customers. So if you were armed with that data on your clients and customers, you could make very informed precision decisions for your business and that's vitally important because whilst it's great to do the processes and get them automated and really slick and working nicely and everyone freed up to do that fun stuff in the office, play more ping pong perhaps or some pool or go for drinks early on a Friday but and, or, and have all this automation running. Well, to make the decisions on what to do next, you really need some intelligence behind it. And that's a really big part of, of what we do for clients. And it's always incredible what you find. I've had people say to me when we've walked in, well, our average client is 35. And I've turned around and said, well, actually it's 63. And, and, but people aren't any of the wiser because – we have confirmation bias as humans and and yeah. we see what we want to see often and we believe what we want to believe but we believe that being data led and making data decisions uh, is the absolute path forward to beating competitors so on a
0: on a really human level now where do you see in this world of infinite and uh ever evolving change where do you see yourself and your business 5 years 10 years from now you know You've, you've already alluded to the fact I have uh, you have younger children from me, which is kind of a, a disguised way of saying you're younger than me, which would be true, of course. <laughs> but uh, where do you see yourself heading with all of this in sort of five, ten years' time?
1: A very, a very, very difficult one to, to predict. It's, it's difficult to know, I suppose, when you feel like you're potentially running out of energy or you want to relax more. However... Um, my own setup of my company is that we're a fully remote company. I do quite enjoy uh, more tropical climes than Cambridgeshire. So I would like to think that once the children have grown up a little, that I could operate the business from shores afar would be would be quite nice. But it's, it's a very, very hard one to predict actually that. And I know I'm meant to be the person who is there to predict change and and predict technology that's coming over over the hill but uh, i think i think for us it's you know stay the course and and just see where it takes us i i
0: i would not uh, disagree is too strong a word i actually really like the answer because i think a lot of people would expect you to have a really really clear idea and almost to have it automated this whole process but the fact you know what you're really saying is the fact that you've kept that bandwidth fairly wide and flexible so that you know, your life and your business and the evolution of it can be really fluid. I think that's a great answer. I mean,
1: well, a there's lot of a people, balance. yeah, there's a balance. And, and you know, th- let's be, let's be realistic here. You cannot invent a process before the humans have had a go at it. So you have to have humans making messy processes, shuffling bits of paper about doing it in really in, in, in ways that are just not refined in order to then refine that process. So that's all part of part of it and i think that there has to be a balance to work and life and i know always everyone's always saying oh the work-life balance and i was at my desk until midnight last night trying to uh, polish off a, a new piece of code that we we're working on but at the same time i laid in this morning that was absolutely fine you know because we can we can balance that out and i don't have to be in an office to open it up because we're a fully remote company my office is at the bottom my garden uh, and for the staff who work for us they're based all around the world on different time zones and it's it's we don't work on a nine to five basis so for me it gives me a lot more energy we, we mm. are we have tasks to do uh, we know that we have what we call utilization rates so no one is a hundred percent uh going to get a hundred percent productivity out of the day unrealistic you can't be productive for eight hours a day and any boss who demands that is just frankly wrong I believe it should be around 80%, leave 20% for just thinking and, and fiddling about and all different things like that. So we track our utilization. As long as we're hitting our utilization rates, it doesn't matter. We can work at 2 a.m., 3 p.m., it doesn't matter. No, no difference at all. And, and I think for us, that's what gives us the freedom and it gives me the energy to, to kind of do what we do. And, it, and it's quite nice. I'd encourage more business owners to embrace um, the, the opportunities that remote hiring has uh, and to em- embrace the, the, kind of the art of really hanging up this this concept of, of nine to five. It doesn't actually have to be that way for mm. some of the staff. Fantastic. Uh, once again,
0: half an hour, comes and goes. Uh, there might even be a part three. Who the heck knows? But um, once again, Daniel Cooper, thank you. I, as I said, you join a very, very small, very small, fingers of one hand, small, uh, number of people who have been on the podcast twice and always by popular demand so you are uh you know if we were going back to the 80s you'd have made it into the top five of the hit parade so um and and for all the reasons that we've discussed today i'm sure once again lots of people have taken away an awful lot from some of the things you've had to say so thank you a for giving up your time b for sharing such insightful thoughts and and your wisdom that you share so openly and, and in a way that i think everyone finds very very easy to understand which uh, for people like me that is no mean feat so um daniel cooper thank you once again for being a fantastic guest second time around on the sandro
1: forte podcast thanks so much sandra a pleasure